I think I can sum up the show for you with one word. Nothing. And now, giving you access to the locker rooms and the minds of the independent scene, here are the curtain jerkers of pro wrestling podcasting, Mike Crockett. Actually, I prefer to be called Maestro. And the kingpin, Brian Malonis. He's the win, and nobody beats him. This is the wrestling podcast about nothing on the New Age Insiders Wrestling Network. Welcome to the Wrestling Podcast About Nothing, episode 74, presented by BDARadio.com. There are so many wrestling podcasts out there covering every facet of the business. So we went to BDA Radio and said we had a different idea for a podcast. Everybody's doing something. We'll do nothing. They said, what's wrestling podcast about? We said nothing. And thankfully they said, we think you may have something here. So here we are. My name is Mike Crockett. I'm a longtime independent wrestling referee in the Northeast, currently on an extended hiatus from the ring, and joining me as always is a veteran of the New England Independent Matt Wars, the irresistible force, the immovable object, the champion of Russell Madness, the kingpin, Brian Malonis. The champion, you get it? Yeah, well, he wasn't a chimp, though. The, the well, oh, is that, like, uh, offensive to the monkey community? It might be, yeah. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think you probably... Uh, We're on thin ice already. I think there's some uh, primate rights activists out there that's going to be all over our ass now. Thanks a lot, Mike. <laughs> you just ruined the podcast. My you goodness. Just ruined so. it. <laughs> oh, Gargle my. lyrics oh. didn't do it, but, but this will. <laughs> well, uh, I'm referencing the movie that you watched last week on the main event podcast that is m-a-i-n-e as in the state main event podcast with our friends Harmon and johnny fashion and no spoilers but you um let me just say you worked them good job <laughs> good job just, did you listen yes i didn't give it a glowing review i just i didn't hate it oh my god it's it's for kids like, well, exactly. Like that would be a movie. Like if the kids sat down and watched it with me, they would love it. As a matter of fact, Kirsten watched. Uh, Kirsten's my daughter. For those who can't figure that out, uh, she watched the last half of the movie with me, and she absolutely loved it. Well, that says a lot for your taste, Brian Malonis. <laughs> <laughs> so no, it, says, it says it says I'm a dad. <laughs> better or worse than Ready to Rumble. Oh, it's not as good as Ready to Rumble. Come oh, on. Oh, jeez, of course. That's like, oh, my goodness. Sacrilege for me to suggest that. Uh, yeah, Ready to Rumble was awesome. All right, well, before we move on, I just want to make sure that everyone knows what's going on here with the uh, NAI Wrestling Network. If you're seeing this on the feed we started on with NAI, it now says NAI Pop. Well, that feed is going to be transitioning completely to pop culture podcasts. So uh, we'll be on there until October 1st, where we will move exclusively onto the original feed of the New Age Insiders. Now that is the New Age Insiders Wrestling Network. And we're on both feeds right now, so you can make the transition right now. Just subscribe. Make sure you subscribe to the NAI Wrestling Network, which is the feed that the New Age Insiders Wrestling Show is on. We're moving over there. We're over there already, so go subscribe right now to New Age Insiders. Start the transition right now. October 1st, we'll completely be off that original feed. It is going to be completely pop culture shows. And Kingpin, I was thinking about maybe 
maybe we should uh, do a show over on NAI Pop when uh, Celebrity Big Brother starts. What do you think? I'm in. I'm all in, buddy. <laughs> We're down to the final three now in, in Big Brother. We are. We are. And it's going to be uh, quite a ride, I guess. We'll see if anyone can step up to Paul. I'm guessing not, but who knows? Yeah, if he goes to the final two, it should be a absolute slam dunk. I know people don't like him, but the dude has played a masterful game. Yes, uh, so stay tuned for more of our thoughts on Big Brother after this. No, not really. We are on the pop station right now, right? <laughs> we are. Well, today on the Wrestling Podcast about nothing, it's not going to be about Big Brother. It's going to be about our friend. Well, actually, let's just bring him on. We're gonna hey, hold a- on. Hold on. It is kind of about Big Brother because he used to team with my Big Brother, right? Oh, well, yes. Okay, we'll, we'll get into that when he is here. We'll have the promo about nothing coming up and a whole lot more. But first, Brian, we're being joined by a guy who started right here in New England. He got to the big time with WWE, and now he's heading back to the big time again with his fantasy sports podcast called I Left My Wallet and Greg Polanco. And we'll have to talk about that name there. Uh, he is a former heartbreaker, a former heartthrob. He is, from what I understand, a current George McFly lookalike. He is the promise, Antonio Thomas. Hello, Antonio. What's up? Thank you for having me on. How are you? I'm doing fabulous. That's tremendous. It's really good to uh, have you here talking to you. And I know Brian is a big fantasy sports fan. I know that because he neglects our podcast in favor of going (laughs) and doing drafts. I had four drafts and four nights. It's one week out of the year. Yeah, that week is very, very taxing. Pretty much everything else kind of halts, like the rest of the world stops, and you have that hour and a half, two hours. If you have a live draft, maybe it's more, six hours, you get hammered. It's fun. (laughs) Uh, It makes the next day at work (laughs) a lot longer, but uh, yeah, it's a very hectic week, Mike. You got to understand this. He has no tolerance. He has no tolerance for it. (laughs) Yeah, it's, I mean, four days in a row. What the hell is going on there? I don't, I just. I like the action, Mike. I like the action, buddy. (laughs) You like the action. All right, well, we're going to get into some uh, action here, some wrestling action. We'll we'll talk a little fantasy sports, too, but I want to really talk to Antonio about what's brought him to this point where he's doing his podcast. He's having famous wrestlers on, his buddies from his wrestling days. Uh, Well, he's he's still wrestling today, Antonio, but, uh, you know, from OVW, from WWE, he's having them on his podcast. Let's look back, though, a little bit and... Actually, I wanted to ask you, Brian, first. Do you remember when you first met our friend here, Antonio? Yeah, I think I, I first met him. He had just started for Chaotic Wrestling. I think this was around like Cold Fury 2. Uh, so I wasn't even quite on the roster yet, but that's when I first kind of met Antonio Thomas. Uh, we did go on to have a very brief feud, uh, myself and Peter Malloy versus uh, yeah. himself and another, another former WWE yeah. superstar. <laughs> Done. So, what was our name? The Rising. The Rising. <laughs> we we're managed by by Sparkles. <laughs> oh God! Yes, that was a very very brief. I think. Did you have like one match as a team? We had one match as a team. Uh, it was in. I, I remember it. It was September of October two thousand three. You squashed me with the Yoko. You beat me with the Yokozuna. You just sat out on me, probably from like a sunset flip. Yes, I remember that. I remember we had the match. We had a singles match in EWA, which was much better than the tag match. 
but I was trying to remember what other matches we've had together. And now, absolutely. How could I have forgotten? <laughs> well, it was, a, it was an instant classic for sure. I remember Brian, I think I was Handsome's first match at Chaotic. It was during a Dr. Tom camp. And I remember you sitting in the crowd. Am I, am I correct? <laughs> you are correct. And I remember, I remember <laughs> I had no idea who you were and I don't think we had met at the time. And Minnie is like, is that Buffet sitting in the crowd? Why is Buffet sitting in the front row? And I had no idea what the fuck he was talking about, but I think it was in reference <laughs> <laughs> to Brian Brian Buffet. Yeah, I think that's exactly what it was in reference to. Oh boy! You know, you know, we have another connection here. Your your uh, illustrious tag team partner is my storyline brother. <laughs> that's right. You're the you're the Rosellis in EWA lore, correct? Correct. <laughs> yeah, you definitely in the early days, Antonio got around the independence let's say um, i was an independent whore yeah i yeah, uh bas- basically i mean especially with chaotic wrestling at that time if you didn't go to the school if you weren't one of their guys you weren't really getting on a show but they made an exception for you you got a pass i mean you were getting booked just about everywhere you talked about ewa of course also NECW, and then WFA for Steve Bradley. What do you think was the reason that you kind of broke all these boundaries and you got booked just about everywhere, like from day one? I'm glad you brought this up because, I mean, I started at Kowalski's. I started, I took my first bumps under Mike Hollow. I started at Kowalski's for about three months in 2001. So I was there when Chris Nowinski was there, when John Walters was there, Wagner, Ken Doan was there, Aaron Stevens, Arch, all those guys. And then, uh, you know, I found out that Kevin Landry trained guys and there are a bunch of, I found out that there was independent wrestling throughout New England and uh, looked into it and it was a match for me and it worked out to where I could train there, you know, more than once or twice a week. But I, I kept in contact with Mike, and Mike said the door is always welcome. I paid my money up front, and once they transferred over to Chaotic, I would start going up to Chaotic. I'd say about once a month or so, I'd go up there, and I think this is before Steve Bradley opened up. And um, I just would do all the Dr. Tom camps, and the, I did the first one for Mike Sparta, and then a couple months later, Chaotic brought Dr. Tom in, and that was when I got booked there. I think Ben got a hold of me and I kind of met the chaotic guys through the EWA shows, which I started doing. That's kind of how it happened. And and I remember back then it was, it was, you work for NECW and WFA or you work for EWA and chaotic because they kind of ran, they worked together and not running the same dates. You also had a lot of people that I remember like Wagner took so much flack for traveling outside new england and dr harrisy took so much flack for traveling outside new england and a lot of you know wagner was ahead of his time 15 years ahead of his time with a website and selling t-shirts and selling eight by tens back then people just thought you were a mark for yourself and it was no it was a business and you know, I just wanted to show up. I just wanted to wrestle and, and learn and get better and as, work as many places as I, as I could. And uh, somehow I just started working for all four places at the same time. And then it kind of came to an end when, ironically, with um, our match, me and Ken's match with, with Brian. 
<laughs> that, that was it, huh? <laughs> One match with a kingpin and you're done. Well, I'll tell you, it was... I think it was Ben wanted to make me the New England champion. And, um, you know, I just started working everywhere. And the first kind of quote unquote heat I got with a promoter for working somewhere else was with Sparta for working an EWA show. And then I'm working all these four places and then I'm doing, you know, Bobby Cruz would run shows and, and just any other shows I could work. You know, then you started getting conflicting dates and it's like, you got to choose, you know, Dr. Harris, he wanted to use me on EWA shows, but I really, I started going up and training with Steve Bradley and learning under him a lot. So I kind of veered that way towards his shows and, and Sheldon's. You know, Steve at that time did not like chaotic and it was kind of like you had to, he eventually had everyone kind of make a choice and it was unfortunate. I mean, a lot of guys did at the time and, you know, he made me his champion and always put me in good matches, good work. I was learning. I was getting better. I was going up and training with him. And uh, so I made the decision to go with him and to continue working with NECW. Looking back on it, I mean, I should have just said, no, I'm just going to, you know, I want to work everywhere and get better. And um, But it was just one of those things you, you learn from. And that was the last match I worked for Chaotic at that time. So that's kind of how working for all four places ended. Well, it's, it's like George Costanza. You left on a high note. You, I left you on wrestled, a high note, man. You wrestled Brian Malonis and left on a high note. You know, you have that match where you're like, I'm, you know what? I'm good. I could retire today and uh, <laughs> and be fine with it. And that, that was the match. I was like, really? I If I never wrestle again, I'm I'm good. <laughs> Is that because Sparkles because, was your exactly, manager? Exactly. <laughs> I was just going to say that because Sparkles was my manager. <laughs> Uh, another casualty of the chaotic WFA war. We talked about it. So ridiculous. Yes. Just, not just between those two, because, you know, I, I have no bad things to say about anybody. I just showed up, want to have the best match possible, and just learn, get better, have fun. It's just so stupid between shit like that. And I... I don't really work in New England, but I just I hope it doesn't go on anymore. I'm sure it does, but <laughs> very it's not it's not like it used to be. There's there's not there really isn't a lot of that. I think there's uh, there maybe was like a thing out in Western Mass recently, and but it's I think it's pretty much dissolved yeah, it's really, though, for the most part. Sean Burke will send me screen pics of group chats and stuff, and I just. I don't deal with it, so uh, stooged out Sean Burke. Yeah, I, I did. I did. He's retired, man. He's he's just healed. Can we bury Sean Burke? I'd like to bury Sean. Burke. Let's bury Sean Burke. <laughs> he just texted me saying this might end up being one of the worst football games ever played between Houston and Cincinnati on right now. Oh man, yeah, I don't even have it on yet. <laughs> yeah, oh, we're not. missing football for this. Yeah, <laughs> I know you're broken up about it, Mike. We talked about it with, with uh, Brian Fury and Alex Arion. We had them on to talk about Steve Bradley uh, a couple months back. And I mean, obviously, everyone talks about Steve Bradley's training. What did you get out of working with uh, Steve Bradley at the Top Rope Wrestling Academy? I got the, the psychological aspect of it. Um, it wasn't, you know, I was so focused on moves back then because it was, it was when Ring of Honor was getting hot and it was, you know, you start having like the super indie tournament and the, uh, the super eight was like the biggest thing in wrestling. So it was like moves, moves, moves. It was like a lot of run and gun, a lot of, a lot of chain wrestling. And, um, not that there isn't today, but, um, he got me out of, 
you know, memorizing a match from, you know, beginning to end. Not, not that I would, I mean, I knew basic psychology and whatnot, but kind of broke me out of that mode of not listening to the crowd and working for myself. And, uh, you know, I'd come to the back at shows and I'd say, how was it? And he goes, it, it sucked. And I go, I go, did you see it? What? Tell me, you know, and he'd be like, no, I heard it. And then yeah, he wouldn't so much watch the matches as he would listen to the crowd. So, um, and then like the matches he would see, you know, he, he'd critique me on, he'd critique others on. And, you know, he spent a lot of time sitting in his office doing stuff on the computer. He was really one of the first to, to put up like streaming video and, and media stuff on his website. Uh, I shouldn't say one of the first, but he was really, um, I maybe kind of in the area doing stuff like that. And so, you know, me, Al, Brandon, uh, Eric, you know, Brian, whoever came up there, we'd roll around and whatnot. But then it was when he would come in and teach us about the psychology and, and the, the placement and, um, of a, of a hot tag, of a blind tag, um, stuff like that. The stuff I picked up later on in OVW and then later on in, in WWE working with agents and more experienced guys. Um, and that's because he was there. He lived it. He did it. And, um, uh, that's the stuff that I think took everybody that came there aside from like Scott and Brandon and, and the, the guys that started with Steve, but like me, Brian, Eric, um, the, the stuff that we got from it was the stuff I just said was the psychological aspect, working the crowd, listening to the crowd, um, storylines, getting heat. Steve was great at getting heat and, um, you know, you know, sometimes the crowds just wanted to, to kill him, especially in, you know, they run shows in Brian's hometown and, you know, getting blood and doing stuff like that was really introducing us to stuff we really hadn't seen before. And it was kind of taking us to a new level. So you were talking about, you know, uh, learning about hot tags and tag team psychology and stuff like that. Uh, and we mentioned this man, like, right off the top, Brian, uh, Brian Malonis's brother, Romeo Roselli. <laughs> yeah. How did you... I thought you meant Playboy, Jimmy. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Forget the Playboy. Um, so how did you and Romeo Roselli slash Johnny Heartbreaker kind of meet up and become friends? Well, John trained at Kevin's. So I met John. John used to come down on Sundays from New York when he was in college and uh, a couple times training together, you know, as a group. It was, you know, Kid Mikazi, uh, Chi-Chi Cruz, Johnny Idol, a lot of guys, you know, still around today and whatnot, but guys more so at the time that were doing some stuff. And uh, we got the concept that you had to be in shape. I shouldn't say be in shape, but you know, have the, the look that WWE kind of wanted at the time. And, um, we just were both set on moving past the Indies and traveling and working as many places as possible, learning. Before I even had my first match, he's like, Hey, you know, there's no, uh, tag teams. You know, he goes, we should team up. He goes, we kind of look alike. And I'm like, eh, never even taken an arm drag. So. You know, that was a time where like you had the SATs were like one of the hottest things on the indies and uh, there weren't too many tag teams at the time. So I was like, yeah, hey, you know what? If this gets us noticed quicker, then uh, great. 
And if it opens up doors for twice as many bookings because you're in a tag team that makes you stand out, then, you know, great. You know, we do shows together and a lot of us from the school would travel together. And, uh, but it really wasn't until I think EWA in 2003, 2004, where we started teaming up regularly here in New England. And I think that's the reason you guys got noticed, not only because the fact that you're working as a tag team, it's the look that was something that WWE uh, would be after. And I know that's probably how you got through to Chaotic Wrestling. I know because Chaotic wanted to be you know, the kind of pathway to WWE. So I'm sure that's part of the reason maybe that you broke into Chaotic when a lot of people couldn't. Uh, you know, Speaking of WWE, what was the first uh, opportunity that you had to kind of uh, speak to WWE or do something with WWE? Really just, just through the Dr. Tom camps. And, uh, you know, I'd see the chaotic guys go to TV and, and other guys get called for TV. And I'd be like, I'd be like, fuck, I, w- I want to go. I want to like at least get in that ring once. And, uh, I remember Steve and, you know, some other people would say, just wait, you're not ready yet. You know, just wait. I'll tell you when you're ready. And, uh, I never said anything to Dr. Tom. I did. You know, people used to laugh at me and kind of say, oh, they're all Dr. Tom camps are the same. But I just wanted to show them something different every time. You know, I knew they're like, oh, you're just going to do five, five, five drill and then man in the middle drill and blah, blah. And I just just wanted him to finally say, hey, I think you're ready to go to TV. And then, you know, the things that I had been learning with Steve and working at his his champion and doing some storylines He's like, you know, you're ready. So anytime you want to tell Dr. Tom, tell him. And Steve had Dr. Tom in for a camp uh, in June of 04. And uh, I said, Tom, here's a tape I have. It was a match of me versus Chi Chi Cruz. He goes, I don't need to see this. I know what you can do. And he goes, we're in Manchester and Providence in two weeks. He goes, I don't have anything available, but if something comes up then and in the future, he'll definitely let you know. And he called me a couple of days later and said, be in New Hampshire and uh, Manchester and Providence. And uh, I got signed, you know, got signed right there in Manchester. I was going to say, you're, you're, your signing is something of like lore in the area. So, and I think we've actually referenced it on this on this podcast before. What is what but is the? I want to is... hear. I want to hear it from. Well, I want to hear it from you. I want to hear what the actual story okay. was. How did it go down? Was it as cool as the legend would have you believe? Does this legend have a like a Seinfeld like name? Does it go by anything? Is like no. It's just. It's just. It's just that. I was at this show. I was in the crowd, not, yeah. oh, not backstage, wow. but I was. I I think it was you and somebody versus La Resistance. No, it was me and Walters in a singles. Oh, all right. La Resistance must have been on the show, and that's why that popped in yep. my head. But yeah, the the legend kind of is Vince McMahon never watches darks. Right. He happened to watch this one for whatever reason, and said, "Wow, look at this guy. Sign him immediately." Yeah, part of that. I mean, that's that's ultimately what got me signed. But um, yeah, so I, you know, Dr. Tom called me. I didn't have a job at the time. Two weeks before then, I was doing some landscaping and I quit in the middle of the day. And I'm like, I remember calling my dad being like, Dad, what the fuck am I doing? I just want to wrestle. Blah, blah, blah. You know, I was so like, I was working as a special needs para at a middle school and like that. But it just 
I just wanted to wrestle. So I was living it with my mother at the time and uh, went to the show, you know, went to New Hampshire, stayed with Alex Arion the night before because he lived about five minutes away. Uh, I had a slice of pizza, which was rare for me. We watched the WWF pay-per-view, I think, which was in Boston at the time. Yeah, I w- just go to TV. And then when it came time for, I had never been to TV before. So Arch was there. Luis Ortiz was there. Uh, John was there. And then Carlito was there. He wasn't on TV yet, but he was doing darks. So he was kind of the fifth with us. So I just kind of, you know, hey, let me know when we go down to the ring to work out. So one of them came to gut me. We got changed up, went down to the ring, and the five of us were down there. Arn said, all right, who's here for a tryout? We raised our hands, not Carlito. And he goes, all right, two people, get in the ring. Show me what you got. Louie and Arch slid in first. In my mind, I was like, I wanted to go with John because John and I, I think up to that time, we had wrestled probably about 10 times between Chaotic and mostly EWA in Maine and in Southbridge. So we had a good chemistry. We both liked to mat wrestle and we just worked well together. And so John and I go in there and Arn's like, okay, you points at me and goes, you look like a baby face. John, you look like a heel. So pointed at me, you be a heel. John, you be the baby face. Go. So we just had, you know, basic match and five minutes in, he's like, stop, 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 stop. And he goes, John, I know you, but you, I don't know you. And he starts asking me questions, how many matches I had, who trained me, And he goes like, all right, I think we got something here. And he goes around, I think he went to Johnny or somebody and said, let's get these two a dark. And he came back and he goes, I'm going to try to get you two a dark. Just do what you did right there. I'm going to give you guys eight minutes. So I'm like, fuck. We're like, I'm great. So I didn't, we didn't even have an agent. We just, John was up. I think he beat me with a cross body. We just had a solid basic. Eight minute match, headlock routine. I belly to back them for some heat, blah, 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 whatever. And I just, you know, the minute I got out there, I would get so nervous on indie shows. Even now, I, I get very, not anxious, but just very like smaller crowds. Just, I get very kind of nervous, more nervous than I should. But bigger crowds, like when I first got out there, I just, it felt normal to me. It felt right. I wasn't nervous. You know, it just, I played to the camera. I did everything kind of that WWE wants to see. And, uh, I get to the back and Arn was sitting there. I looked at him and, you know, how was it? And he shakes my hand and nods like Arn does and goes, Congratulations, young man. He goes, You might have just got yourself a job. And he goes, Sit tight. And I'm like, Oh, fuck. I think I think that went well. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so I walked back down from the gorilla. And um, Edge and Victoria were like, oh, how did it go? Blah, blah, blah. And they were awesome. They were so nice. They're giving feedback and whatnot. And, you know, they're like, you know, go to the back, change up, whatever, get cleaned up. So me and John went to the back just talking about the match. It went very well. And, you know, I have one boot on and John Laurinaitis points at me and goes, you, I want to see you when you get a chance. Uh, so you hop out there one boot, <laughs> I hop up with one boot. Literally, oh, really? I just, I just slipped the other one on and I just followed him and he took me into a room with Jim Ross who was smoking a cigar and they just started asking me questions and, uh, blah, 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 whatever. And he goes, 
he said what Brian said. He goes, you know, Vince McMahon doesn't watch too many dark matches, but you know, he saw yours and he saw something in you and he said, sign this man, get him down to OVW as soon as possible. And, uh, he goes, if you want to put your teaching career on hold, we like to sign you to developmental deal, you know, 750 a week. Uh, we'll give you this much money for moving expenses. I'm like, yeah, 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 I'll, I'll put everything on hold. He took me right to, uh, one of the Hebners who did the payouts and he said, uh, <clears throat> this kid's now developmental now. Give him $500 for tonight plus an extra of 500 because he's now contracted talent. So, <laughs> yeah. So I just, I'm like, what the fuck's going on? And uh, <laughs> so you almost look like somebody's ripping you at this point. Or yeah. Like- <laughs> I'm, I'm like, oh my God. So I'm like, I just go back out and watch the rest of the show and Edge is asking me how it went. And I go, I, I go, I got signed. And he's like, really? He's like, that's fucking awesome. And he's like talking to me for like, this guy's like got a match on Raw and he's talking to me for like 20 minutes. And he's like, he goes, you'll love Lance and OVW and blah, blah, blah. And just giving me all sorts of advice. And I was like, what is going on here? And I'm like, <laughs> I, I almost didn't want to go to TV the next day because I didn't want to fuck up and get like, I was afraid. <laughs> I was just, just, can I sign the contract now? I was like, I don't want to get this taken away from me. Did they have you put like pen to paper on anything or no, was it just like a verbal? No, agreement? not yet. It was verbal. And I was like, Oh my God, they're going to take it away. And like, I was so <laughs> fucking nervous. And I remember that night I drove. Steve called me, asked me how it goes. And I go, I think it went okay. I go, are you at the school? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come by. So I went by and told him, I remember him giving me like the biggest fucking hug. And Alex was there too. And I was just so happy. And obviously, and then Providence was the next day. And so I go to Providence and like a couple guys are like, you know, you go there, shake people's hands, blah, blah, blah. Hey, you know, how you doing? I'm Tom. And cause it's SmackDown. It's a different roster. And so like people are looking me up and down, like, you know, oh, okay. Hey, how you doing? And like Johnny the Bulls, like looking me up and down. He's like, oh, you're the new kid. And I'm like, I just got signed last night. So I don't know what the fuck's going on here, but, <laughs> uh, you know, they have the talent meeting for the first talent meeting when they go to wearing business casual. So Laurenitis comes, gets me and say, Hey, you're, you're talent. You come on. Why don't you come to the talent meeting? And I'm just standing there in the back with Mickey James. Cause I knew her from a couple shows. I'm like, what is going on here? And I'm, there's Vince McMahon talking about, you know, why we should dress up and how buddy Rogers was always dressed to the nines and he wants everyone in suits. And yeah, I just, I just, I'm just like, get me out of here. I just give me the contract. I just want to <laughs> sign it. So, oh, and when I, when I walked in that day, Laurenitis was like, uh, what's up, Thomas? How you doing? Uh, you got a dark match tonight with Funaki. So they already had it kind of planned and it got changed around like five times. I was supposed to get squashed by Heidenreich on SmackDown and I was like, fuck. I was like, I'm already like, no. And then I was supposed to have a match. Then I was going to have a match with Carlito. Then I was going to have a match with Arch. And then it got changed finally back to me with Funaki. And uh, I was like, Whew. all right, it went great. Good. Get me out of here. And then I remember <laughs> getting to the back and Bill DeMott was like, oh, hey, man, you know, nice to meet you. Looking forward to seeing you in OVW. Little did I know it was going to be like a fucking boot camp when I first got there. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that's that's the long and the short of it. 
That's incredible. That, after all these years, I figured, I, like, I'd heard the story a million times, and, and I'm like, I, I, there's got to be more to it. But no, it really is. Vince McMahon saw no. you, saw, saw something special, and said, sign this guy. That's, really, that's, you that's, know that's what? pretty incredible. You that's know incredible. What? And, and that's why, like... I'll go, I'll go into some stuff, man, that if you want, that like never was told to me, but was never, it was like the whole heartthrobs thing left me with such a bad, not a bad taste, but me wanting to like redeem myself because I, I'm so blessed that you, I got a chance to, to be there, you know, with such a horrible gimmick and introduction and <laughs> almost get a year out of it. You know, there, Bill DeMott, Lance Storm, throughout my time in OVW, before I we started teaming up, were like, hey, they got something for TV, just be ready, they got something for you. And this was after The Office came down, and they really liked the promo, I did a whole Promise Thing promo, and Paul Heyman loved it, and Stephanie loved it, and... Jim Cornette, he goes, ah, I gotta get, this was before I was on OVW TV, and he was like, I gotta get you on OVW TV right away. Laurenitis came up to me and said, we gotta get you on WWE TV right away. So I was like, all right, okay, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> this is like right when you first got down there? No, this was in November. I got down there in August and uh, wasn't really doing anything. It was very, It was miserable. It was a new, you know, I wasn't used to the Southern slow lifestyle. It was the first time I was really away from this area, away from home. Even though I had, you know, John there, John had moved down there as a non-contract a couple months before. It was just, everything was so new to me. I felt everyone, everyone in OVW at that time was kind of an established indie worker or like a Kevin Fairdig, uh, signed through WWE, but had been in Memphis, had been in Puerto Rico. I'd been there like three, four, five years already for like four months. I was the new guy because they weren't signing a lot of guys. I think Aaron Aguilera and Chad Wicks came in before me like three months before. Then it was me. And then it was another five months before someone else came in. So it was like I was the quote unquote new guy. It was very awkward for me at first. And I remember wanting to quit like so many times, like, cause it, it wasn't fun. It was training under Lance Storm was great, but at first training under Bill DeMott, he was brought there to kind of run us through the ringer and see who had what. And eventually once you got to know Bill, he was, you know, we ended up having like a really good relationship, but not knowing him and being thrown in my first two weeks, having him there was really, it was a, sh- a shock to, everybody's system i didn't realize he was in the ovw as a trainer i never i never realized that yeah he my first my first two weeks there were his first two weeks there so i mean we had some five-hour practices six-hour practices where it was like a boot camp it was kind of like what they do at the performance center for tryouts and you know guys like nova guys like um trying to think who else you know guys like johnny jeter who's there four years and established i don't think they really needed that at the time and i don't think a lot of guys needed that at the time but it was you know it's he had that drill sergeant that was his role at the time so um you know i i figured in in november and december they started telling me that you know i had something come back from christmas break i had some injuries uh, tore my hip muscle and was on and off the shelf and never, you know, hadn't started on OVW TV yet. And 
at that time we, you know, earlier in October, I think September when John and I went to Jim Cornette to approach him about teaming together and he didn't want to do it. He wanted me as a baby and he wanted John as a heel. And then like six weeks later, he comes back to both of us and says, I, I got it. I'm teaming you up. It's perfect. He goes, I, I, I got a tag team I've been wanting to do for 20 years. It's called the Heartbreakers. You two are perfect for it. And I want you to get red feather boas and I want you to get hearts and lips on your boots. And I want you to be like the fabulous ones. And it was like straight out of like mid South in the eighties, you know? Um, <laughs> and I'm just like, John's kind of like liking this. Cause he's, you know, if you know, your, you well, he's your brother, you know, you know, yeah, John is very, <laughs> we grew up very much, very much the showman of the team. And me, I was, you know, this anybody that you know knows me and especially knew me at the time knew that that was the furthest thing from me so you know and then it's like oh i'm gonna give you this little black manager he's gonna be a pimp and it was mo green who was the cat but ernest miller's butler on tv for a little bit and uh i was like what is the fuck is this and (laughs) it was like a lsd trip or something and uh we started with that and we started to make a buzz and then that's kind of when I didn't hear any more about me getting brought up at least to do darks or getting a look as a single. So I don't know. I don't, you always wonder what if, but, uh, things happen for a reason. And, and the stuff in OVW was, was great. It was different. It was fun. It was never me. I never felt comfortable really. We just got brought up way too early and I wish we could have had, you know, six to eight months to really learn tag team wrestling and to kind of, learn to be heels and learn to be, you know, cause it's just so much was thrown at us in two months. And I was going back to the tag team stuff, learning with Steve. I literally was like learning tag team wrestling, you know, live on TV and on the house shows. And I can't tell you how many house shows I would fuck up something, some tag team nuance or subtlety and just you know, wanted to dig a, a hole for myself in the back when you get to the back and the agents, they don't want to tear you down, but it wasn't exactly like, come on, man, what the fuck? You know, it was just, I just, <laughs> it was all new to me. And, uh, cause I had been mostly a singles on the independence. And when we did do tags, it certainly wasn't, you know, a typical WWE style tag. So, but down there, you guys were getting, you guys were like, the gimmick really was successful down there, right? Yeah. Yeah. The gimmick was, you know, Danny Davis, the owner, the man who created OVW said it was the most overact ever. I mean, we had, you know, teenage boys and, and 10 year old, 12 year old boys dressing up in feather boas and like pink headbands and all this stupid shit. And it was just, it was crazy. It was ridiculous. And it, it was so great at the time. Cause like it was so different and we were learning, but there was so much, there wasn't a connection between the office and between what Jimmy wanted to do with us. Jimmy saw us as gay and we kind of saw ourselves as the night at the Roxbury. And it just took on this life of its own as, you know, he would give us these, you know, spots to do and, you know, all the, you know, midget spots and grabbing asses spots and thumbs up the ass spots and stuff like that. <laughs> and it, you know, and it's like, fuck, man, what the fuck? I don't, 
I lost myself. You know, I was like, what am I? Am I a heel? Am I a baby? Should I wrestle? Should I do this shit? And then on top of that, I go learn to wrestle tag team. Tag team, two weeks were heels. Then we're tweeners because the fans like us. And then we're full blown babies. And then, oh yeah, like three days notice, hey, you're getting called up and you're going to debut in Madison Square Garden. So it was a whole lot of shit heaped upon, <laughs> you know, it was. It all happened so quick. And yeah, I'm a grown man at the time, but it, we we're prepared. We're as prepared as possible that, hey, we could get called up, but we didn't think it was going to be that way. And, and we didn't know that there was going to be no, well, hey, what do you want us to be? What's our name going to be? What do you, are we doing the gimmick? Are we not doing the gimmick? And we didn't find out anything until Tommy Dreamer helped facilitate us as much as possible. And he was awesome. And he was on the phone with us so much the weekend before we got called up and just helping us. And, you know, there were a couple writers that called us too, but they, it was, what are we doing? We didn't even know what we were doing. And we were doing something with Regal and Tajiri. And it's like, what, what's our name? Um, we threw them a whole bunch of names for teams. One of them was the Metro men, which was, uh, <laughs> which was, uh, yeah. One of them was the Metro man. Cause I was like, fuck man, let's, I fucking love that gimmick. And that's, <laughs> that fits me. This doesn't fit me, but it was like, Hey man, do you want us to be like ourselves on the Indies? Like arrogant, pretty boy pricks. Do you want us to be the fucking OVW shit? And are we heels? Are we babies? What? So we didn't really, we didn't really know much until we got to the arena that day. So were you trying to use this opportunity to change the gimmick or you just weren't aware of what they wanted the gimmick to be when you we debuted a, on we TV? We weren't aware of, we weren't aware of what they wanted and be, and the gimmick was so over with all the boys because it, it popped the boys in the, at the monitor. It, it, it was over in OVW and, but it wasn't. That wasn't what they envisioned. And looking back on it, that wasn't what they envisioned. But we stuck with it because we thought that was what worked. Let's go with it. That's what got us noticed. And, you know, the office came down the week before to look at everyone in OVW. So they knew what we were in OVW. So it wasn't, you know, Arn, Arn went to bat for me and Arn was, you know, anytime we would go to TV, Arn always took the time the talk with me and take time with me if I was in the ring. And I felt like I was Arn's boy and I was such a huge Arn and Tully fan. And I almost felt like, fuck, I'm letting this guy down because this is not what he envisioned when, you know, he went to bat for me. And I know he went to bat for like for Shelton and Charlie Haas at the time. And he told me uh, Trevor Murdoch was a guy he went to bat for me. And I was like, fuck, man, those are some great workers and I want to be in that category and I want to, I just wanted to come to the back, come back to Gorilla and get the thumbs up and know, like have the agents pat you on your back and say, fucking great match, good match. That was fucking, you guys can work. And eh, sometimes we would get that, but it was more like the gimmick got in the way. Um, once we started clicking, you know, three, four months in and just kind of said, fuck it and just kind of had an ultimatum for us to start calling matches and not taking so much standing up for ourselves. Things started to click. But at that point, I think once we debuted, I think whatever powers that be that saw us that our debut, we're just like, eh, nah, this isn't it. This isn't what we envisioned. And, uh, they could have yanked us right then and there and said, nah, this is what, 
we don't want to work, but they saw something in us and wanted to work with us. And it just never, we just were always paddling upstream, running uphill, it seemed. Were you ever kind of directly told what they wanted in terms of the gimmick? Or like, did they say, we don't want you to do the effeminate stuff? We don't want you to be like you were in OVW? Or Yeah, we weren't, we were going to be heels. We weren't, we we're going to be heels, but it just didn't sink into us at the time. I think that like no one ever said like, Hey, just stop with the, the boas stop with like, they love the end. Like people love the entrance, but where we got lost was like, keep the entrance. But when it comes time to get in the ring, you need to get your heat. And we didn't do that. We, we didn't stand up for ourselves. We'd, We'd get beat up in the shine. We'd get a little bit of heat on TV and then we'd get a comeback and we'd lose. And, uh, on the house shows, we had more time to work and we could work 10, 15, 20 minutes. And then we could kind of do that on Sunday night heat as well. And actually the Sunday night heat in the house shows is where we really kind of learned how to work and whatnot and work at the WWE level. And, uh, I don't know why I kind of slowly changed the gimmick myself. I ditched the boas and went with a more, I remember like Malibu's most wanted kind of came out at the time and like Kevin Federline was popular. And, and so I was kind of like, I'm going to do this because this kind of, I'm just going to start wearing like fake bling. And I went with like vests and like all the outfits we had. I, I came up with and my mom made them and I just kind of like, I try to deviate as much as I could from the original gimmick and, uh, nothing ever clicked. And it was, you know, first impressions are everything. So, you know, I think we, we debuted on rod MSG and then we're on heat for like five weeks. Then we're back on raw in a tag team title match. I think maybe if we came back the next week on heat and changed something, I don't know, we could have gotten it easier so it sounds like you kind of felt like you're on a runaway train here with this whole thing was it almost a relief when the release came in 2006 yeah um i you know it's it's weird because like i remember like a couple weeks after we got called up we would just want to we want to cut promos because that was our strength our character and personality i remember vince watching one of our promos backstage and like jericho and christian watching them and loving our promos and shit and vince coming up to us and say oh you boys are making quite the stir you know you got the entrance and you got the promos you know just gonna get that in-ring work down and it was like so we'd show up early to to how all the house shows and get in the ring with the agents and walk through stuff and you know, so we were trying, it's just, you can't teach experience and you can't, it was kind of a, the best day of my life kind of. And it was not, it was, I shouldn't say it was the best day. It was, it was like a relief. And then it was like the worst day of my life all at once because I could like breathe again. And I didn't, I think John and I eventually get to the point where we're on different wavelengths, kind of like we could communicate in the ring without just giving each other a look or a nod. But I just think there were times where you're just you're with this person every day, all the time, traveling, you know, rooming together and whatnot. And eventually, you know, you just anybody, you just get sick of each other and uh you get on different wavelengths and it was just kind of a relief. I was like, ah, I can do my own shit and I can do 
I could just be myself again. And that's all I ever wanted really. And anytime I had a singles match there, I felt like myself. I hate saying that. And it's not a slight on John. And I'm sure John would say the same thing, but it was, it was kind of a relief that I think he could go do his thing. I could go do my thing. And then, you know what? We can also do the tag thing, but kind of like, oh shit be ourselves, be what we were in EWA and what we were, um, you know, on the indies. So you ditched the feather boa and the headbands and you were back on the indies. You were Antonio, the promised Thomas again, and you were all over the place working the independence. You even did like six tours of Japan for all Japan pro wrestling. But, uh, lately the promised Antonio Thomas hasn't been the one going out and doing wrestling shows. It's someone else by the name of Thomas Santel. Am I correct? Yeah, it's a, a guy I know that resembles me, but um, <laughs> it's not Antonio the Promised Thomas, uh, because as much as I wanted to, when I got released, as much as I wanted to be on my own, being you know, the promise and whatnot, it took me, fuck, it took me uh, almost a decade to find something that fit and felt natural to me. I was always changing up my gear, my look. What is what is going to be something that feels right that is my my shtick? And it's like when you guys came to me with in Chaotic in 2007 with the Blowout Boy thing, it wasn't the heartthrobs, but it was Jersey Shore was big at the time. So it was like, okay, oh, great. I can not be myself and I can do this thing. And I can be myself, but it's a persona that I can – you know, I don't have to walk through the curtain and be like, oh, here I am, dude in like boots and tights. So that's how I kind of felt until I was doing a show for big time wrestling in Glens Falls, New York. And because of my hair, fans started chanting George McFly. And the previous two years before then, I had just been kind of getting burnt out on wrestling. And, you know, I was doing stuff the previous four years here and there for ring of honor when they're in the area doing like the top prospect tournament, doing some TV tapings, whatnot, but nothing concrete. There was nothing about me that stood out. I would try the cornrows. I would try different gear, but nothing that felt right that connected with the crowd. I I think, and, um, fans on shows just started chanting George McFly and, uh, not to bring this idiot's name up again, but Sean Burke, was like, oh, oh Jesus. He's like a big Back to the Future fan. And, and Steve Perkins. <laughs> Who the isn't? Pro- yeah, Steve Perkins, the promoter uh, of big time wrestling, is a fucking ridiculous Back to the Future fan. And he's like, he goes, This is what I've been telling you. He goes, You got to be George McFly. You got to be George McFly. They chant George <laughs> McFly. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. Like, what the fuck? And then my best friend was like, He just watches a movie every day. Just movies are his life. And he goes, he goes, dude, just fucking go with it. Stop trying to be like super serious, like technical wrestler. And he goes, just fucking go with it. And, uh, that December I was in Vancouver for ECCW and I brought, you know, some vintage trunks and didn't wear knee pads. And I had like a varsity vest and I said, ah, I tell my friend, I was like, should I try this? I was like, ah, fuck it. I'm going to try it. And I was like, should I wear the glasses? And he's like, well, if you're going to wear it, go with it all. So I was like, I put on the glasses and I went up to, I think Singh Brothers were on the show, the Bollywood Boys at the time. 
There are a couple other guys, like Nicole Matthews is on the show, and they're like, oh, man, you look like George McFly, blah, blah, blah. So I went up to the promoter, and I said, you know, you billed me as this, but he knew I didn't do the heartthrob thing bullshit. And I was like, you know, I kind of want to try this George McFly thing. How do I look with the glasses? And he's like, he just had like this crazy, his like scared look on his face. He's like, holy shit. Yes. Glasses. You need the glasses. So I'm like, I'm like, can I change my music right now? He's like, what? I was like, Earth Angel. And he's like, fucking perfect. <laughs> and so. Was it the version sung by Marvin Berry and the Starlighters? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Marvin Berry and the Starlighters. Yeah. So I. I came out to that and fan, it's a very like hipster Vancouver kind of crowd, kind of Brian. I don't know if I've, I've never done a beyond show yet, but I I'm guessing it. I don't want to say it's a hipster crowd, but it's a very like 20 something, 30 something crowd. Would that be correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah this is, exactly. This is a very similar crowd. And, uh, so fans are like, what the fuck, what's going on here? And blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I went out to shake my opponent's hand and right away I pulled him in for a Saido Plex and just flipped the script right there. And all of a sudden, like everybody just popped. And like right then and there, I felt so awkward coming out as George McFly and tripping on the second rope when I get in the ring. And, but then, you know, flipping the script once the match comes on, um, it popped everybody. And, uh, every time I've done it since for a new audience, it gets the same reaction and it's fun and it's the first time I felt comfortable and it's fun. Like wrestling is fun. And I have at 40 years old, have a new, a second win. And I'm like, Oh my God. Um, I feel honestly, like what I said, like I missed out on so much where I was doing the heartthrob thing. And I kind of felt like I have unfinished business. It's like, okay, this 16 years in I've been around the world. I've done everything. The old saying is where you like, you stop caring. And when you stop giving a fuck, that's when things start to click and you come across things. And it was like, it took that. It took hating to do shows, not wanting to do shows and taking a lot of time off and just saying, if I never wrestle again, I am perfectly content and fine. And, uh, you know, coming to this where now I feel like I'm, in 2001, 2002 again, I want to get this out there and get this seen by people and by prominent places like, you know, like beyond like, um, you know, the AIWs and, and take it outside more than new England and, and kind of, I, I don't know about redeem myself, but just kind of have fun being myself with something I feel comfortable in. Well, I don't think you'll feel like you're done until you wrestle Brian Malonis again. <laughs> oh, no, come on. It's got to come full circle, right? <laughs> no, absolutely, man. I'd love to do it. And, you know, I haven't worked with someone like Brian where uh, I think we could have a, a hell of a match and see how I can. It's a challenge to me. Oh, how am I going to how am I going to play this to a new crowd, a crowd that hasn't seen me? And then now with, you know, a, a guy Brian size and utilize the things that he can do best and man i would love that uh, that's that's what i'm looking for that's what makes it fun and exciting for me and i found a new love for wrestling and and seeing all the way indie wrestling is is pop more popular than ever and seeing you know last year the cruiserweight classic really got me 
loving wrestling again and, and wanting to do this and kind of be in this position where I'm in now. And yeah, yeah, it's really exciting. It's just a matter of getting it in front of the right people. It's like very interesting. I, I think people like listening to this might be kind of they're like, what the fuck? That, like, yeah, they're like, what the fuck? This is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it took you this long to be super comfortable to enjoy wrestling as you have been enjoying wrestling. And it's, 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 uh, it's good to hear it, but it might be, you know, uh, like a shock to some people that, you know, maybe all this time you weren't really comfortable with the things you were doing with the heartthrobs and stuff like that and now you finally found something that you can do both you can be the funny guy you can do the jokey wacky stuff and you can also when the bell rings you're you're a wrestler which i know you love to you know uh get down there and do some uh you know intricate mat work and stuff like that so it's the best of both worlds for you and i'm really happy that you're finally really enjoying what you're doing out there and that's what wrestling is it's supposed to be fun it's supposed to be enjoyable we're supposed to have fun with it and it's a good thing that finally this is uh you know this is your path now this is what you're uh this is what you're doing and that's what yeah. you're enjoying and yeah yeah and it, it, you said intricate mat work and it's a lot of these matches haven't had intricate mat work because of okay. the because of either getting the character over and then whoever the crowd is and it's a lot of times I I knew who my audience was but I was selfish and I wanted to do something for myself or for me and whoever I was in the ring with you know, I missed the boat on a lot of chances I had in Ring of Honor where I didn't just go out there and just throw everything and have a get over. What What is going to get me over with these fans and not be the, I'm going to do these subtle things that a, you know, a, a 15 year vet or the booker might see and whatnot, but that maybe the crowd might not pick up on and, and just throw caution to the wind and, and do that. And now I, it's, it sounds ridiculous, but you, Knowing who your audience is, you know, whether it's, you know, the promoter, whether it's, you know, the fans in the crowd, it's always the fans, but knowing who you are wrestling for, whether it's, if it's for a job or if it's just at a show for a specific audience, you know, yeah, Tom Lawler, I guess, yeah, I could have intricate mat work there, but he's a friend of mine that I've trained with before and he's a UFC fighter. Yeah. I want to, he's ducking me, you know, Tom, he's ducking you. He's a huge <laughs> fan of you, man. Yo, you were in, you were in the overweight classic. I don't know if you knew that. I am aware of this. You and, and fellow new England, uh, Stallworth, uh, Max smash master. He made it to the finals, man. I think you got, what, what round did you make it to? Actually, I think I lost to him after he politicked his way into the next round. It's I we need some redemption. Uh, <laughs> I call I call there's a there's a video online that we posted where I called uh, Tom Lawler out for you know taking shots at me with the Brian Buffet character. M Michael edited the video to make it look a certain way, but I called him out. You got to get in the ring. With, we all got to get in the ring with each other at separate points, and you definitely need to get in the ring with him and just hash things out, man. Max Mashmaster is a great guy, but man, but you got fucking politics man rearing their ugly head <laughs> i was robbed well antonio there's no politicking in the podcasting game and now you have your podcast we talked about it at the top i left my wallet and greg polanco what the hell does that mean i'm a huge hip-hop fan i love obviously tribe call quest and anybody that knows me i i don't know i just kind of beat to my own drum 
you can call me a weirdo. I don't care, but I'm just, <laughs> I always, I don't know. I always like underground off to the center type things. Big hip hop fan, mostly like underground hip hop fan, not the shit they call hip hop today. But anyway, yeah. Uh, Gregory Polanco, one of my favorite fantasy baseball players. So I'm like, I named that my team at one point. Uh, last year, my national league only team was I left my wallet in Greg Polanco and it's just, Exactly. The reaction you had, like, what the fuck is up with that name? That's what I want. <laughs> because it's it's like wrestling now. It's it's my thing. It's my bit of quirkiness and my personality. And uh it gets to, you know, I play some hip hop songs in between breaks and whatnot, and I get to talk mixed sports and wrestling, the two loves of my life. You know, there's so many wrestling podcasts out there and there's so many sports podcasts out there, but there was really not a wrestling podcast that talked about sports and specifically fantasy sports. And just through the years, knowing, you know, becoming friends with a, a Tommy Dreamer and a Matt Striker and guys like that and uh, Aaron Aguilera, guys that I've known for 13, 14 years always talking fantasy sports with them, being in fantasy sports leagues with them. I was like, I want to talk with these guys about uh, fantasy sports and just, it's super, super niche, but I don't care. You know, I'm not in it to make money and yeah, I'd love to be Brendan Schaub and like skyrocket to where I transition from one career to being just a full-time podcast personality, you know, but everyone has those aspirations, but, uh, it's just fun. It's something different. And, uh, I get to talk to my buddies I've met through wrestling and, you know, so many fantasy sports leagues, football, baseball, basketball with other wrestlers. So I was like, let's talk about it. Yeah. I can't wait to come on this coming week. Yes. Uh, we're going to review the week two games. Um, we're going to talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, we'll shoot oh the shit. It's, it's not, you know, it, it's not <laughs> interview. It's not an interview. It's, it's just shooting the shit about sports and whatever and, you know, take in things and see what works. And, you know, you guys know it's, it's always a work in progress, just like in wrestling. And, but it's all about having fun with it. And I have fun with it. So how can people uh, take part in the big I Left My Wallet and Greg Polanco slash wrestling podcast about nothing crossover week? <laughs> uh, where, can they, where can they find your podcast and where can they find you online? They can find the podcast uh, at, on Instagram, leftmywallet23. They can find me on Twitter at Promise Thomas. Uh, you can find Thomas Santel at Twitter and at Instagram at retro grappler that's at retro grappler all right yeah if you're uh and the the podcast itself is on itunes podbean right itunes stitcher podbean google play so it's for all formats if you're a worker out there um now it's football season so everybody plays fantasy football so you know, if you're a worker out there, if you're interested, you know, if you have my number, hit me up. If you want to hit me up on, on Instagram or on Twitter, let me know and we'll get it done. And, uh, you know, we're going to have Brian on this week and the big left my wallet in the wrestling podcast about nothing crossover week. 
It's fantastic. It's going to be amazing. And I uh, really appreciate you, Antonio, coming on, spending some time with us, talking about your story and everything. Uh, a lot of fun, a lot of interesting stuff, and look forward to uh, catching you and the Kingpin on I Left My Wallet and Greg Polanco this week. I'm looking forward to it as well, man. We're going to talk about Le'Veon Bell getting back on track week two, because I drafted, I have him in two leagues. So, um, yeah, it's going to be fun. I can't promise that if it's a bad fantasy slash bad Steelers week that I won't be a little salty. We're all salty, I guess, in some way. We're all gri- we're all grizzled. We really are grizzled veterans now. I veterans, I don't know about what, but it's like life, man, life. Life, man, life. We're so beat down. It's like uh, downtrodden. And hey, at least we're not Mike Crockett. <laughs> oh. <laughs> on this uh, note, I guess we'll uh, move on. Thank you very much, Antonio, for uh, spending some time with us tonight. Thank you guys for having me, man. Thanks, buddy. All right. We would love your feedback on this episode. Every week, you we do something called Merv Griffin Time. That is a talkback segment where we interact with you, the listener. So tweet us at the WPAN. Make sure you're following us at the WPAN on Twitter and give us your take on this week's episode, your thoughts on our discussion with Antonio, the promised Thomas. Use the hashtag WPAN. We'll mention you and your tweets later this week because every Thursday, it's an all new, all different episode of the wrestling podcast about nothing on BDA radio. You can vote at the WPAN on Twitter Monday nights to decide what we'll discuss on the show each week. And you never know what else will come up. So be sure to seek us out each and every Thursday. Also, you can download past episodes of this very podcast. They're coming off those old feeds on the NARS Network. They're going up on the BDA radio feed. So make sure you're subscribed to the Wrestling Podcast About Nothing feed on your favorite podcast platform, and you can find it all at BDARadio.com. But that is another show, a way you can interact with us here on the New Age Insiders Wrestling Network every week is through our voicemail line. We want to hear from you. Get your voicemails in. We will play them on the podcast. Call 401-584-9726. That's 401-584-WPAN. We got nothing this week, but we would really appreciate your contributions to the WPAN. Call right now before you forget. Become a part of the program. 401-584-9726. Okay, Kingpin, time for this week's promo about nothing. But before we get into that, let's talk about our sponsor, People ask me, what do you mean, BDARadio.com? What does the BDA stand for? Blood drips from the authority? Oh, boy. (laughs) Not that authority, Kingpin, but the WWE's number one authority, of course, Vince McMahon. You you saw what happened this past week, right, with uh, Kevin Owens? I did, yes. Does this mean that the no blood policy is abolished? (laughs) I don't think so. Well, I don't know. I don't know. But here's what BDA Radio means. The most unique commentary on mixed martial arts and pro wrestling on the internet. They don't break news. They break the news with their wild commentary regarding MMA and wrestling. Head over to BDARadio.com and check out all the latest news on UFC, Bellator, WWE, and much more. It's bloody good fun at BDARadio.com. Well, uh, okay, Kingpin. It's time. It's promo about nothing time. The year, 1992. And we are going to go back up north. We've been in the southern wrestling region for a few weeks now. And I don't think Mike Mills is enjoying it. So we're going to take out one of our own. 
in IWCCW, that is International World Class Championship Wrestling, uh, the old Savoldi's promotion that was on TV in the early 90s. And this is a gentleman. He is a distant relative of the Three Stooges. Oh, boy. <laughs> Actually, he probably isn't at all. I'm, I'm sure he has no relation to them whatsoever, but he uh, shaved his head. He's a big fat guy. And he wore a bowler hat, and he called himself Curly Moe. So take a listen as Bill Apter from Pro Wrestling Illustrated interviews Curly Moe in this week's promo about nothing. Hello, wrestling fans for Pro Wrestling Illustrated magazine. This is senior editor Bill Apter, Curly Moe. Oh! Curly, you're late. I've been waiting for you here. For The camera's over here. What? First of all, why were you late? Well... I had, I had trouble finding the port. You had trouble finding the port? You mean what? you came here by boat? No, by bus. Port Authority. Oh, the Port Authority bus oh. terminal. Oh, I'm Okay, now, first of all, a lot of fans have written in questions for you. One of them wanted to know, what is your favorite entree? Entree the Giant. Entree the Giant? No, 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 no. I'm talking about food. What do you like to eat? Oh, if it don't move, totally you eat it. Don't move, Curly Elite. Like now we look. I got a do rag. Yeah, but a what? A do rag. See, look. A do, do like that. No, 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 Curly. Look. I'm supposed to be interviewed. Tony Atlas. Don't. No. Look at that. That's not that. That's, that's a, a gorilla. What yeah, but he's cuter. Yeah, look. What, hey, you what have you what? got in here? What? I got my own nurse. Won't Nurse Vanessa be upset by this? Ah! Don't worry about Nurse Vanessa. This is nice. What do you do with this, this doll? Nice. Curlette. Get it? Curly. Do you play with these dolls? Oh, what's that? I don't know this guy's name. Wait a second. Look. Trying to ask questions. Maybe we can get one. No, no. Curly, I'm supposed, you know, I'm supposed to be interviewing you. Who is this? What is this? <gasps> I thought I'd lost him. Oh, no. Um, after. We've been through this thing later. No, say, not later. It's later. not after. Anyway, after. I'd just like to take two, two minutes out. I'd like to say hi to all the little peoples. Oh, the fans, the little guys. You love them. I you? like the little peoples. Okay, so hello to all the little peoples. And I want to tell them, make sure they listen to the big peoples. Mom and dad. Right. right. And um, not to forget. Oh, don't forget to watch Coily. We're wrestling. Because Coily's back. It's 1992. <laughs> The 1992 tour of Curly Moe will be happening soon. Watch for it in your neighborhood. For Pro Wrestling Illustrated, this is senior editor Bill After. You're going to the Port Authority with Curly Moe. See you at the Port Authority, I guess. Bye, Curly. All right, Kingpin. Curly Moe, your thoughts? Uh, well, <laughs> I, where, to be, where to begin? Um, the, the bad impression? The purpose of a promo is what to like basically sell something, right? Like, yes, whether it's to you know sell a match, sell a character, get people to tune in. What what are they selling here? Like, what is what the fuck is the point? They're trying to sell Curly Mo. Come on out, see this gentleman. Uh, they want to uh, they want the people to know what he's all about. What makes him tick? Holy and apparently. Shit. Apparently, he's a raging racist. Uh, yeah, that was, uh, yeah, I'll let you get into that one, buddy. I don't want to touch that one with a 10-foot pole. Yeah, I don't know if I should. It's, uh, yeah, there is a, a stuffed animal that came out of, um, 
Curly Moe's bag of tricks that they referenced as Tony Atlas. And it's a different time I and guess place. You could huh? probably, yeah, I guess you could probably guess what that stuffed animal was. I'm sure when I upload the promo about nothing video to our YouTube channel, you could take a look at it. That's usually Monday or Tuesday where you see the actual video. Or you can check out the link to the video in the description of this podcast. Yeah, uh, that one's a little, little touch and go. That's... Yeah, they wouldn't. They wouldn't fly. <laughs> Would not definitely not fly today. And I'm not Mike, quite sure. Hold on, stop for a second here, right? So yes. we've had some other IWCCW stuff on here before, right? How did you watch this stuff and love it so much? I didn't really watch it that much, to be honest <laughs> with you. I didn't have the station it was on. I think it was on Sports Channel in the Northeast, and I didn't really even have it. I I would catch it every once in a while on. Like I don't know if it was WNDS or one of those other channels in New Hampshire. I, I was not a regular viewer. I couldn't be a regular viewer because it never stuck around that long. You know, I did enjoy Curly Moe's match with Andre the Giant, though. Oh, God. <laughs> horrible. <laughs> Absolutely horrible. I guess the one thing that we can um, be happy about is that this promo was edited there's like a hard cut right in the middle <laughs> yeah, of it. Not even subtle about it. No, but there is a, the original. If you want to go check it out, the original is over five minutes long. So I was very happy to be able to find this two, a little over two minute version of it and just, you know, just leave well enough alone and just be done with it after two and a half minutes. The best part is in 2017, half our audience isn't going to understand like what what impression this dude's doing. Well, no, they had the movie a few years back. They uh, did the movie reboot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a big hit. It it wasn't that bad. They had the uh, guys from the Jersey Shore in it. So you're giving me shit about saying Russell Madness <laughs> wasn't a bad movie, and you're sitting here telling me that the Three Stooges reboot was a good movie? It wasn't bad. It wasn't horrible. Go flush your head in the toilet, all right? And you know what's uh, funny about it? Uh, you're talking about Russell Madness? Nothing, nothing. Nothing was funny about that movie, I'm sure. The person who played Curly in the Three Stooges movie? Yeah. Will Sasso. <laughs> All comes back around, Kingpin. Full circle. So Will Sasso's career is flourishing, is what you're saying. It certainly is. It he's certainly a, he's is. in all the hit movies these days. <laughs> Russell Madness, <laughs> Three Stooges. Uh, yeah. So we talked to last year Brian Webster, the commentator from IWCW, and he mentioned the wrestling great Don Zaleski was his color commentator a couple times and that was the real name of curly mo don zaleski and i found out i wasn't sure at the time speaking to brian webster but i found out that don zaleski aka curly mo passed away in 2015 so he is no longer with us curly mo but uh i love that indies on a, a miserable note which it seems to happen more often than not yeah, yeah, you're you're really you know you're you're really good at that. Thank you, I am good at that. Uh, but Curly Mo, not really good at promos, so that's why <laughs> it is this week's promo about nothing. So you've heard it again. If you want the full picture, find the link to the video in the description of this episode on the NAI Wrestling Network. Okay, Kingpin, you, my friend, are hitting the highways and byways. You're crisscrossing this great nation of ours, plying your trade as a professional wrestler. You got dates? I got dates, Mike. This Saturday night, I'll be heading out to your old stomping grounds, Western Massachusetts, Hadley, Mass, to be specific. 
Pioneer Valley Pro Wrestling in a Rumble-style sort of match. I'm going to assume that this is for a heavyweight title shot at some point, of which course I've, I will be winning. And you already won one Rumble for a title shot this year. That's right. Why wouldn't I win this one? We'll have to see. <laughs> the very next afternoon, buddy, I'll be heading to Worcester, Massachusetts for Beyond Wrestling taking on Raw Dog, John Silver, the self-proclaimed meat man. Check out his insane promo. I'm going to have a response to his insane promo this week. Maybe it'll be a promo about nothing someday. I don't know if you got a chance <laughs> to see it, Mike. I did not see it. No. Is it on your Twitter? Uh, yeah, it's worth it's worth seeking out, but come out to see that uh, beyondwrestlingonline.com. Last I saw, there was about 30 tickets remaining. So uh, I don't know. By the time this drops on Monday, they might all be gone. So you know, go try to get tickets right away if you're listening to this on um, on Monday morning. They might not be there. And then, Mike, uh, I'll be on vacation for a week in oh. beautiful, sunny Orlando, Florida. Walt Disney World, here I come. But I'll be back in time to challenge for the Chaotic Wrestling Heavyweight Championship on Friday night, October the 6th, right back in Woburn, Massachusetts. I'll be becoming a four-time Chaotic Wrestling Heavyweight Champion. Of course, I put Elia, the current champion, through a table. Mike, let me tell you something. These people, uh, the fans hate this guy so much that I wore a Steelers jersey to the ring. He wore a Tom Brady jersey to the ring. They cheered me. They booed him. I pointed it out on the microphone. And they cheered me again. Well, that shouldn't have happened. <laughs> well, I don't I don't know what to tell you, buddy. They like oh, me. Boy. They really, really like me. <laughs> so go to chaoticwrestling.com for ticket information. I'll give you one more, Mike. Saturday night, October the 14th, I'm heading out to Clinton, Massachusetts, Lucky Pro Wrestling. I'll be taking on their heavyweight champion, Vern Vicalo, the selfie-made wow. man. Yes, non-title matchup, I believe. Maybe I could parlay that into a championship opportunity. Maybe I'm just going to go collecting championships across all of New England, buddy. I guess so. Wow. You're a top <laughs> contender anywhere you go. Of course. All right. Well, that is it for your dates. And if you want to book the kingpin, put him in there with your champion and put him over for the title, Brian Malonis <laughs> at Comcast.net for bookings. Or you can DM him on Twitter at Brian Malonis. And speaking of putting over... Putting Over Podcasts, that's the Facebook group that we started to bring together all pro wrestling podcasters and podcast fans. It's growing rapidly. We're really loving it. Just search Putting Over Podcasts. Put that in the search bar. Join. We'll add you, and uh, we'll all have a good time talking about professional wrestling podcasts. And speaking of pro wrestling podcasts, Booking the Territory is a great one featuring Mike Mills, Hard Barty Harper, and Doc Turner. They do two podcasts a week. Sundays, it's the Smoky Mountain Wrestling Review Show. Thursdays, their flagship show talking about the old Jim Crockett promotions. It is all on the Book in the Territory Pro Wrestling Podcast feed, mikemills.podbean.com, or anywhere podcasts are sold. And check in the boots with referee Tony S. and Chip K. Fabe. Uh, Tony S., this past week, uh, did some quick detective work. I'm sure you're aware of this now. Yes, I saw it. <laughs> yeah, we talked about last Thursday, worst finishing maneuvers. And I mentioned that I was on an episode of WWF Superstars, really enjoying Crush using the head vice, that head crush, which was his terrible finish we talked about. And it didn't take long for Tony S. to find August 22nd, 1992, where myself was in the crowd gleefully enjoying the head crush 
So uh, you can find that actually isolated it. It is on our YouTube channel as well. Just look up WPAN, put that in the search bar on YouTube. You'll find us. Subscribe while you're over there and enjoy that video of very young Croc Socks. Very young. Come on. You were 37 in that video. Uh, 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 I was 17, I believe. 17 years young. 37. I stand by what I said. So thank you to referee Tony S. for finding that. He and Chip K. Fabe do check in the boots once a week. Find that on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play Music, all those dilly dills. And finally, the Rundown Wrestling Podcast. So much going on on that feed, including the flagship Thursday Rundown Wrestling Podcast itself with Troy and Jason. Subscribe over there. Rundown Wrestling Podcast. So much going on on that feed. Uh, subscribe and enjoy. Also wanted to make mention of the Our Vantage Point Retro Wrestling Podcast. Our friends Joe and Quinn. Joe gave me a little help with some of the audio here in this episode. Uh, Try to make it presentable for you people and I really appreciate that. So make sure you go and subscribe to Our Vantage Point, the Retro Wrestling Podcast. A great podcast, a great friend of ours, and thank you to those guys. And of course... We hope you continue to listen to the NAI Wrestling Network all week long. Of course, as I mentioned earlier, the Wrestling Network moving over to the NAI feed, the original New Age Insiders feed. We are joining Jason, Bill, Liam over there on their feed. It is transitioning. The full transition will take place October 1st. If you're listening to us on the channel now relabeled NAI Pop, make sure you're subscribed to the New Age Insiders channel, which is now been rebranded the NAI Wrestling Network. October 1st, we move completely. We leave the NAI Pop channel. We are on the Wrestling Network channel. Make sure you're subscribed. And you can enjoy the original New Age Insiders Wrestling Show plus DC and Doc Talk. Rant with Ant, the new show happening, combining Damian Salty G with Matt McCool. That's a new show yet to be named. And so much more over there on the all-new, all-different NAI Wrestling Network. Please subscribe. And we are back on Thursday with the wrestling podcast about nothing on BDA radio search WPAN on your favorite podcatcher or go to BDAradio.com to find us then you can join us here next week next Monday for the WPAN on the NAI wrestling network that is episode number 75 until then he's the kingpin Brian Malonis I'm Mike Crockett big ups to Mako and thanks for nothing <laughs>